They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside, be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you find your seat, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, this morning, we're gathered in the name of Jesus. We're gathering believing that your word is what we need to hear so that we can see you, know you, trust you, follow you, serve you, honor you, glorify you. So Lord, we're praying that you would speak to us. Lord, also this morning, we want to pray for the whole of Redeemer Church. Lord, some of us are scattered and traveling today. Some of us are at home around an electronic stream participating. Some of us are here. Over all of us, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Not only would you fill us with your Spirit, but you would cause the fruits of your Spirit to abound from us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, would you fill us all with the love for one another? Lord, would you give us grace and mercy and compassion and understanding and long-suffering toward one another? Would you allow us to have a true unity in Christ? It's only explained by your work among us. We're pleading with you and we're asking you for to work for you to work in power. We ask in the name of Jesus the Lord. Amen. So good to see all of you this morning. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus chapter 16. As we work our way through the book of Exodus, we're in a a section, a series of chapters um, that are following a pattern. This is the pattern. Uh, There's a, a hardship or a perceived hardship The people, in this passage, the people of God are called Israel. Israel grumbles against God. The Lord teaches them something about himself and his grace. And the Lord intervenes in the hardship. 
So we've had the hardship beside the Red Sea. Will we be destroyed? We've had the hardship of water. Will we thirst and die? Now we come to the hardship of food. And I don't want to bury the lead here. God gives his people food. That's what happens in this chapter. But what I'm struck by most is is we continue to walk through this pattern of hardship, grumbling, lesson, intervention, hardship, grumbling, lesson, intervention. I'm struck at how committed God is to Israel being faithful to him. Honestly, if I were the Lord in this passage, I think I would have said something really rude like, oh my goodness, here we go again. Stop your whining. Here's some bread. Maybe I'm just a mean, mean person. But the Lord doesn't go there. Consistently, he's showing his commitment to Israel that not only they would be delivered from Egypt, but that they would be faithful to him. So what we see paragraph after paragraph here in Exodus 16 is God kindly and methodically training Israel for the promised land, training Israel to be his people. The other thing that's very striking in this pattern is just how much Egypt had actually shaped the Israelites. 430 years in Egypt, 430 years under oppression, 430 years in a different land, 430 years in a land filled with many gods, 430 years where the worship of God was restrained for the people of God. It apparently radically shaped the people more than it should. We might say that while the people are physically out of Egypt, Egypt is still in them. And so what's going on in these passages is God is compassionately, methodically still working the Egypt out of the Israelites. So if you want to boil all this down, what we're going to see this morning is as Israel physically travels away from Egypt, God is methodically training them and equipping them for living as his people in his place under his rule. As Israel physically travels away from Egypt, God is methodically and compassionately training and equipping Israel to be his people and his place under his rule. It's going to take some time, but this particular passage is going to show us how he is shaping them. So our sermon this morning is entitled, Learning on the Go. Because God's people are on the move and they're being prepared in the process. The passage actually begins with a time marker. It tells us that we are about one month into this journey. 
So we're one month into what will ultimately be a 40-year journey, which means we've got a long way to go. But so much has happened in one month. The Passover event, the abrupt departure, the sprint to the Red Sea, the trapping at the Red Sea, the deliverance through the Red Sea, the destruction of the Egyptians at the Red Sea, the miraculous provision of water, and now the miraculous provision of food. Ultimately, God's people are quick to grumble and complain against God. And this shows us just how much maturity, how much growth, how much working of preparation is left for them to do. So verses 4 through 8 make it abundantly clear that the grumbling is against God. How does God respond? Well, he gives them the bread in a miraculous way that's only explained by his hand. And he gives them the bread in such a way that it teaches them three things. It teaches them to trust, it teaches them to rest, and it teaches them to remember. So let's take those in order. First, learning to trust. This comes from verses 4 through 21, which is the majority of the passage. What's laid out for us in verses 4 through 21 is God has heard their grumbling and he will provide them with food. But it tells us not only will he provide them with food, but he's going to provide it in such a way that it will teach his people to trust him and to obey him. Now, if you're listening carefully, you might say, okay, which one is it, trust or obey? And I'm here to submit to you that what you learned in vacation Bible school was actually correct. Trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. I can't sing, so that's all you're going to get out of me. But it's actually correct. They go together. Those who trust the Lord receive his word and do what he says. Those who receive his word and do what he says do so because they trust him. They're like two sides of the same coin. And that's basically what the Lord says. Look at verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Now listen carefully. That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So we're about to see a strange, not abnormal way in which God's going to provide for his people. And you might say, well, why this way? God's already given us the answer. I am providing for you, yes, but I'm providing for you in such a way that it will show you that it's me who's providing for you. I will provide for you in such a way that will call upon you to hear my word and obey it. The Lord is providing food for his people in such a way that the people must learn to obey him. So let's let's walk through this. What's going to happen is every morning, miraculously, 
bread is going to appear hovering over the ground like dew. And the sun will later come out in the day and it'll be gone. Okay. Now, the Lord's promised that he's going to do this every day. So every morning, the bread will be there and you will go and you will gather a portion for each person in your household for one day. That's inefficient. I don't go to the grocery store every day. Cool. Apparently, the Pates and I go to the grocery store at the same time. We've seen each other there like seven times in the last three weeks. But um, besides us, we don't go to the grocery store every day. But it's not about efficiency. The every day is about hearing God's word and going and trusting him. It goes further. The passage says, and listen, if you go out today and you take two days worth, it's going to turn rotten and spoil and stink and be eaten by worms. But if you just take a day's worth, it will provide nourishment for you and it will last and it will be enough. And then tomorrow you're going to do the same thing. And the next day, you're going to do the same thing. Okay, but here's where it gets weird. You're going to do that for, for six days, each week. But on the seventh day, we're going to have a, a day of Sabbath, a day of rest. So on the sixth day, and only on the sixth day, you can take two days worth of bread. See, on the fifth day, if you take two days worth of bread, that's going to be disobedience, and it's going to rot, and it's going to stink. But on the sixth day, you get to take two days worth of bread because that's going to be for the sixth day and for the seventh day because I'm not raining bread from heaven on the seventh day. All right, everybody sufficiently confused? What's with all of this? Why not just have the monthly bread and everybody gets enough and we come back next month? Because that's, the bread is not the point alone. The point is provision that teaches the people to trust in the Lord for his provision. So hear this. Getting up every day and going to gather is an act of trust moving into obedience. Why would I get out of bed and go out to get bread from the dew? Because I believe that God will do what he's spoken. Now, once I've already gotten up and gotten dressed and gone out, why not go ahead and get enough for two days or three days or four days or five days or heck, a week? Only gathering enough for a day is an act of trust moving toward obedience because we believe that God will provide again tomorrow. But on the sixth day, I'm going to gather for two days. Gathering for two days on the sixth day is an act of trust moving into obedience because we are trusting, one, that the Lord wants Sabbath on the seventh day, and we're trusting, two, that the Lord knows the difference between the fourth day bread and the sixth day bread, and he will cause it to provide for both days. Trust 
and obedience run in tandem. And the Lord is establishing his provision for the people in such a way that it shows them he is for them. It shows them that he will provide for them. It shows them that he is not going to leave them in the wilderness. It shows them that he can be trusted. He can be obeyed. His word can be followed. The Lord has set the whole thing up to teach the people to trust him. Now, what the passage says is on this first occasion, the land at night was flooded with quail such that the people were able to kill and cook and enjoy a great abundance of meat. And the purpose of the quail quail was to show that God's indeed was with his people and indeed he would meet them in their hunger. And then the next morning became the first of many mornings where this daily provision of bread would be how God would feed his people. And we're told in verse 35 that this continued all the way into the promised land. It continued for 40 years. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years. Which implies, one, God provided for his people every step of the way. But two, it took all 40 years for the people to begin to learn the impulse of trusting the Lord day by day to provide for his people. Okay, so what are we supposed to do with this? One, here's a few tangible things for us. If we're in Christ, if we are the people of Jesus, we still need the Lord's daily provision, daily blessing, daily guidance, and daily help, just like the Israelites did in the wilderness. One example Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There's one way we as the people of God can learn the lesson of trust and obedience and lean into the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I trust you. Guide me, teach me, help me, direct my ways. Here's the other thing. Do you think that 40 years of manna gathering shaped the daily life of the people of Israel? Yeah, I think it certainly did. The Lord basically said, I'm gonna drop into every day, look to me, look to me, 
Look to me, look to me, look to me. So I don't want to get too prescriptive on how you need to structure your day, but the question I would put before you is how are you going to structure your days and your weeks in such a way that you are looking to the Lord for his provision and leaning upon his guiding hand day by day and moment by moment. Look, I am really opposed to this evangelical idea that if you're not on your knees praying by 5 a.m., God quits listening. You know what I'm talking about? Like, if you really want to focus on the Lord, get up early. Look, if that's you, that's fine. But I haven't been up at 5 a.m. praying more than two or three times in the history of this church. But I pray, and the Lord hears, and I think the Lord answers, and I think I depend upon him. So we don't have to overly spiritualize it and say, you have to be exactly like me. Or I don't have to be exactly like you. But the question is, Where's the daily habit that forces us to depend upon the Lord, reminds us to look to the Lord for what only he can provide? There's a million ways to structure that. I can't help but think, that opening the scripture and saying, I believe that God is going to speak and reveal himself here is a habit of looking to the Lord and leaning into his provision. I can't help but think that earnest, intentional praying is a looking to the Lord and leaning into his provision. I know for certain that this gathering and those of you who are habitually participating from home is an intentional move to say, we together need the Lord and I celebrate this move by all of us. But the question is, am I, are we learning to trust and obey the Lord. That's why he's redeemed us. That's one reason why he's redeemed us. And that's a big part of how he's going to use us. Second, this manna story, this manna provision is intended to teach the people to rest. So the second point, learning to rest. This is in verses 22 through 30. What is introduced here in verses 23 through 30 is the idea of Sabbath. Sabbath is the idea that one day a week, people rest from their normal activities for the purpose of worship, of the Lord, celebration of the Lord's goodness, and dependence upon the Lord's continued provision. The word rest is not focused on our nap cycles as much as it's focused on our attention to God. But what's introduced here in verses 22 through 30 is God says, I am giving you the seventh day. 
It's a Sabbath. A Sabbath from what? From work? From labor? From attempted? From feeling the weight of having to provide for your family? From feeling the weight of having to get everything done? From feeling like you're driving the car and if you're not driving, the car is going to run in the ditch? Sabbath is a way to recognize that God's in control. He's the creator, the sustainer, the Lord, the redeemer, the one who provides all things. And he says to Israel, I am going to give you Sabbath. I'm going to give you the seventh day, so much so that I'm going to provide your bread for the Sabbath differently. I'm going to give you two days portion on the sixth day. But what's important for us to hear here is the language of this. The Lord, he says to Israel, has given you the Sabbath. That's verse 29. Verse 23, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest. Not just rest, but solemn rest. Rest in the Lord. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Now, some scholars, this is really important. Some scholars believe that Israel has really, up until this point, never practiced Sabbath. Others believe that Israel, up until this point, perhaps had practiced Sabbath, but it was completely lost in the Egypt period. You see, slave taskmasters don't really care that their slaves get rest or get worship or get anything besides to work. And so the Lord is introducing or reintroducing a blessing to his people that allows them to truly rest by resting in his provision, to truly rest by believing that the Lord has and will continue to guide his people, provide for his people, care for his people, lead his people, deliver his people, and work for his people. He's inviting them to say, we don't hold the world together, God does. He's inviting them to say, we don't hold the fate of Israel in our hands, God does. He's inviting them to say, we can pause and God's work goes on. Now you might say, well, why do they need that? This passage, along with many, say because it's good for them. Because it's a gift to them. And because there's hope in resting in the Lord. Now, this Sabbath idea is going to become a bigger and bigger idea as we move into, say, Exodus 20, 21, 22, 23, as we get to the giving of the law. 
But the Lord is intent that his people, Israel, are known for their dependence upon him and that they're known for their trust of his work for them, so much so that they intentionally set aside a day a week and holy days throughout the year for worship, for leaning into the Lord and for remembering his provision. So for Israel, this Sabbath concept is going to become a part of the law that they're intended to keep. And it's going to become so much a part of the life of Israel that it's actually going to be codified and perverted. And so if you have a Bible search app and you just type Sabbath, New Testament, everything that pops up except for one or two entrances is actually going to be something negative that Jesus said about the scribes and the Pharisees' practice of Sabbath. But their misappropriation that Jesus repudiated doesn't take away from us, the people of Jesus, this principle. It is good to rest in the Lord. It is good to build physical routines that cause us to spiritually rest in the Lord. So for the Jews, it was built in Saturday, Sabbath. We're not under that legal restriction. But you know what freedom sometimes does? It frees us up to forget the point. So we don't have to follow to the letter, the law. We're free from that. We're free in Christ. Yet, we forget that we need to rest in the Lord. That it's good for us to learn the habit of rest. How many of you would love to have two hours this afternoon where you just felt like you could take your hands off the steering wheel and the metaphorical car would stay on the road. Anybody besides me? Friends, the idea that the car only stays on the road because we're white-knuckling the steering wheel is a lie that our American society has drilled into us. It's the Lord who drives his people all the way home. And a practice of Sabbath, a practice of rest, is a habit that forms us and says... I can trust God's provision even when I contribute nothing. Which isn't that the gospel anyway? God is provided through Christ even though we have contributed nothing. So by way of application, there's still a Sabbath principle that we all need to grasp a hold of here. 
And I'm not going to tell you exactly what that needs to look like, but what does it look like to stop, breathe, thank the Lord, look to him for, for his continued guidance, and not try to advance any cause for a little bit? What does that look like? I think the scripture would call that Sabbath. Is it okay if I'm autobiographical here for a minute? Um, Austin mentioned earlier, you know, 2020 and all of its weirdness. I, I think the biggest lesson from 2020 for me as a person has been learning to rest. It's become helpful for me to say things like this. The world doesn't depend upon Jamie, Jamie's effort, or Jamie's output. So I can rest from trying to work and produce and guide and shape for a few hours each week, and the world will continue on just Redeemer Church doesn't depend upon Jamie's effort or Jamie's output. I can rest for a few hours each week from effort and output and guidance and Redeemer Church by the hand of the Lord will carry on just fine. All the extracurricular things in this community that I'm a part of do not depend upon my effort and my output to survive. And if they are good and worth saving, I can yield from producing and trying to guide and shape, and the Lord will sustain them just fine without me. My family doesn't depend upon my effort or my output or my attempts to guide and shape and control. And I can rest from that and allow the Lord to be the Lord and my family will be just fine. And then this is the, the hard one. My own well-being doesn't depend upon my effort or my output or my attempts to control. And I can rest from that for a few hours each week and allow the Lord, excuse me, the Lord's going to do it anyway, but, but lean into and enjoy the Lord being the Lord, even while I take a nap or pray or sit quietly in a room or go for a walk or have an enjoyable conversation with my kids, I can rest because Jesus is Lord. And I and we need to learn to rest in the Lord, even if that means building some Sabbath principles into our lives. Third, 
The Lord is intent that the people learn to remember his faithfulness. This is verses 31 through 35. The people named the bread. They called it manna. It was with them daily for 40 years. How could they forget? Because we're prone to forget. So the Lord says, take an omer, a daily portion, and place it in a jar for keeping over the generations. Why? Because the Lord wanted them to have a visible declaration of his faithfulness to remember it generation after generation after generation. So I want to ask you this. What is it in your life, our collective life together, that's causing us to remember God's goodness and kindness and faithfulness again and again and again? Have any journalers here? I hate journaling. I don't like to write. I like to talk. But you journaling folks, you got a leg up on me. You know why? Because you can turn back six pages and you can read and you can go, oh my goodness, look what God did on March the 28th of 2014. I didn't even remember that. I keep a, a bullet-pointed prayer list. One of my favorite things each Monday is taking people off of it. Not because I don't love them anymore, but because the Lord's answered the prayer. That person got a job. That person's found physical healing. That person's doing so much better emotionally. If you're in a community group or you sit around a family table or you're in other gatherings... Here's some positive remembrance questions you can ask. How have you seen God at work this week? How have you seen God pouring his blessing upon you? How have you seen God answering your prayer? These conversations are remembrances that help us to trust and obey. And so that's the connection. The Lord wants his people to trust him and obey him. A habit of rest is a way to learn to trust and obey and a habit of remembering is a way to learn to trust and obey. And this is what the Lord has for us all the way until Jesus returns and we're with him forever.